Blog Talk Radio. All I need is one mic, one beat, one stage, one nigga front, my face on the front page. Only if I had one gun, one girl, and one crib, one God to show me how to do things his son did. Pure, like a cup of virgin blood, mixed with 151. One sip will make a nigga flip. Writing names on my hollow tips, plotting shit, mad violence. Who I'm gonna body this hood politics, acknowledge Leave bodies chopped up in garbage. Seeds watch us, grow up and try to follow us. Police watch us, roll up and try knocking us. One knee. I just could it be my time is up with my love I got up the cops shot again bus stop glass burst a fiend drops a Heineken ricocheting between the spots that I'm hiding in blacking out I shoot back fuck getting hit this is my hood I'm a rat to the death of it to everybody come on little niggas is grown hood rats don't abortion your wound we need more warriors soon sent from the stars sun and the moon and it's like a police chase the street sweepers and coppers sick of kids with no conscience leaving victims with doctors if you really think you're ready to die with all powers to oppress people, African power to an African people, and black power. It's your brother, National Chairman Yang Nkrumah, People's Black Panther Party for Self-Determination. Coming to you again on another Tuesday. And like always, man, it is such an honor to be here with the people, um, to be able to share and express myself to them and give the people an opportunity to express themselves and to share with us. As we always say, this is the voice of the people. And, you know, our philosophy, our our social philosophy is African communalism. Together, there's nothing we can't accomplish. Individualism or us being an individual people or living individual, socially practicing individualism only ensures certain and spells and guarantees certain destruction and doom. Um, We're talking about tonight's show is niggas amongst freemen or niggas amongst us and what, you know, and how this whole conversation came about or how the whole topic came about is I was talking to my national chief of staff, Brother War, and I was telling him about the show, and initially the show was um, the nigger word and white racism, and I was building off of the whole thing about the Papa John's man using the nigger word. And how you have all of these black people in an uproar. I mean, you would, people are losing their minds. They're boycotting. They're like, I'm never eating Papa John's again. He used the N-word. And I understand the sentiment. And to a degree, you know, I'm, I'm happy with that. It's good to see people of African descent, black people, taking a stand about something. That's wonderful. You know, and hate to be a naysayer. But there's another side to that for me anyway. I'm a progressive. I'm a revolutionary. Revolutionaries are not reactive. We are proactive. We're progressives. We're talking about, you know, nipping things in the bud. We were there long before he used, or we should have been there 
long before the Papa John guy uses the N-word. And what I mean by that is we're so upset and just blown away by Papa John guy using the N-word that we ask ourselves, what has Papa John done for the black community or the African community here in America? Has he donated to schools, social programs for the empowerment of better, betterment of living conditions? For black people uh, in America, has he hell? Has he given to the United Negro College Fund anything? What has he done for the advancement or the betterment of African people in America? And we won't ask ourselves those questions, but we'll get upset when you know white folks use the nigger word. We just lose our mind. So that was the whole thing, and so it began to I began to talk about you know why this I think shocked black people. And how some white people would use it because even if they're not racist, white people benefit from white privilege and most suffer from white entitlement. Let me say that again so that you understand. I don't believe that every white person is racist. I don't believe every white person is just some hardcore honky that just hates black folk. I just hate black folk. But I do believe that every white person in America, every European, every person that can pass as Caucasian benefits from white privilege. It's a lifestyle, something that goes with a lifestyle that follows them, you know. So I do believe that every white person benefits from that. I also believe that some white people suffer from white entitlement. Because from this lifestyle of white privilege, you know, you don't meet, they don't meet as many, as much resistance or as many obstacles as you and I face on a day-to-day basis. So it gives them a sense in a lot of areas uh, of entitlement. You just see white people like, man, they are cocky. You just see it's just their air. It gives them a sense, their lifestyle, the fabric of America, what has built this country, the racism, the discrimination, the classism, the superiority, inferiority philosophy that has been put on certain ethnicities, some raised above others, have given white people, has been so favorable for white people, it is giving them unconsciously an air of entitlement and a sense of entitlement. So in our separating and building and getting our thing together as African people, we were talking, War and I were talking, we were talking about some of the um, things that we've heard African people say. We were talking about repatriation. A lot of African people here want to go back to Africa. We were here and we were talking about that separation. And then we went to begin to go talk about uh, some of the more extreme things that we hear our African people say when they talk about separation, which is the separating and going and leaving what they say, everything the white man has, just leave everything the white man has. Just leave it. And I was like, you know, chief, why do these people talk like that? What is making, what would make black people want to go back to primitive, to being primitive? What would make us think that we have to go back that far? Why do they think that everything is the white man and the only way, the only form of salvation is to leave everything, basically modernity, anything modern, and just go back to being primitive? And he broke it down and he said, he said, because they don't understand how much technology is in our lives. 
how much technology we use in our lives on a day-to-day basis, how much it affects us. And I went on to even add, though, too, that we have been so um, become so angry and so traumatized that anything we think to be white, we want to run from it. And some of the things that we are attributing to white people that we're saying that they have done have been contributions and inventions of people of African descent, melanated people, black people right here in America. You see, so it began, I wanted to show, to study the mindset of a people that would begin to think like that. And the only mindset of a people that would begin to think like that, the only thing that I came up with is a nigger. A nigger. That, so, let, I, I think that what's right, and this is what we're doing out here tonight, this is the discussion, we're talking about niggers amongst us. You know, and I think that when we talk about these niggas amongst us, that for us really to go into and to understand what we're talking about, I think that we have to go into what is a nigger? What makes up a nigger? Where does a nigger come from? What defies a nigger? Because all in our minds, I think, especially amongst black people, just like African people here in America, black people here in America are not a monolithic people. We're not all one people. I don't, so I don't think that we all have the same concept and understanding of the word nigger. And to me, see, this nigger, to me, a nigger is, a cre- is an American creation. The nigger is solely a creation of America. A nigger is one, and here's the danger of a nigger, because the nigger and the black man here in America or the nigger and the freeman, the liberated thinking brother and sister here in America have some similarities. They share a, they share a, Common history. The nigger and the liberated thinking man or woman are people whose history is wrapped up in enslavement. They were free people. They became enslaved. And we share some of the same, we share the same atrocities as the nigger. The liberated thinking people and the nigger share some of the same atrocities and some of the same things that um, traumatized. The nigger has traumatized the liberated African person. But what we begin to separate is that the liberated person, I don't know if it's in the liberated thinking person, I don't know if it's in their DNA, I don't know if ancestors come, something doesn't sit right with them. They understand that their living conditions aren't right, the lifestyle isn't right, the treatment damn sure ain't right. And they begin to, this communalism kicks in, this, this resistance. Inside of them kicks in, and they seek out other like-minded or like-thinking people and begin to form pockets of resistance and parties and organizations to mount a defense and to create institutions or vehicles to promote the empowerment, the betterment, and liberation of African people in America. Not the nigger. For whatever the reason, the nigger's growth is stunted. The nigger's growth is arrested. The nigger only thinks about survival. So the nigger must survive. And we find that the nigger will survive by any means necessary. So you will have what we call what? The house nigger. You will have this Negro that we say will kiss up under the so-called oppressor, will do whatever it takes to ensure um, that he has some crackers or some cheese to go on his crackers. You got the hustling nigger in the street, doing whatever it takes, being a parasite to the people, being a blight in the community. 
Then you have this phenomena that we have now, those of us liberated thinking people, you have the nigga amongst us. You have the so-called revolutionary nigga or the so-called black power nigga or the so-called conscious nigga. And all of that is an oxymoron. None of those titles can be accompanied by the word nigga. Or nigga cannot accompany any of those titles. It's an oxymoron. They don't fit. But what has the revolutionary, in my opinion, of course, has failed to do in our transition in the new wave of revolutionary coming in, in this new formation of revolutionary coming in, is make the transformation to make to assess the transformation properly and adequately and therefore begin to discipline themselves and train themselves to be ready for the new for this 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 new um strategy, this new tactic, this new assault the way they're assaulting us now. Here's what I mean by that. We understand that the developments that came before us, the revolutionaries that came before us in, in, in our quest for independence and in our fight for liberation, um knew clearly and stated clearly who the enemy is, and the enemy was there. It was an overt racism, blatant discrimination, outright terror and murder, brutality, you name it. It was right there. We see the footage. We see the dogs. We see the water holes. We see uh, Bull Connors doing his thing. I forget the governor, Wallace, standing in the doorways of a school forbidding education for minority children. We see all of these things. So we understand Clearly who the enemy was. But as the struggle evolved and intensified, this conflict, this dialectic between the African, the melanated people here, and the oppressive class, who predominantly the European, the white people here, as the struggle intensified, their tactic had to change, especially when you had these, um, what came out of our struggle and our quest for liberation, these opposing forces, and just to name two of the more prominent people in the opposing forces, was Dr. King and Malcolm X. So we saw the Dr. Kings and the Malcolm X, and in their choosing one, when you're left with these two options, you're left with this uh, radical black nationalist separatist who is openly calling America demonic and its inhabitants, its white inhabitants, devils, openly, clearly. And this other a person who is um, allegedly, or we'll say, you know, was championing the cause of black people who was teaching not just a nonviolent philosophy, but an assimilationist and integrationist philosophy, which is good economically to the oppressor. It's good economically. And they begin as they said, okay, we got the choice of two. Once we back this brother, not only is integration good for us economically, it is good for us socially because it gives us more uh, control, more influence into their homes, more methods and means to um, have behavior modifications because now our standards become their standards. You see, in a segregated community, at that time they called it, um, yeah, in a segregated community, though it was segregated, the predominant influences in those communities were us. Even though we didn't have a lot of the amenities that the white folks had, we had the prominent, the, the prominent influence was us. So not only did we have, um, what do they call them, mentors and um, role models, but we had morals and ethics that would be enforced by a community. Those morals and ethics, those do's and don'ts in the community would be enforced by our community. 
So during the simulation, we began to lose this. And so now the strategy is changing. The tactic is changing. The attack is still there. The war is still being waged against black America, but the attack has changed. And they can afford to change the attack because after the brutalization, after the overt racism, after it has been so interwoven in the fabric of America and the blood has soaked into the soil of America, the blood of racism or the blood that racism has shed of our people has soaked into America and it has been so interwoven in the fabric, the ideology and the philosophy that they can afford to let us assimilate because now white people don't have to practice racism. It doesn't have to be called racism. It's just the American way of life and Negroes that don't assimilate are niggas. See, now this is where we have the nigga in the liberated mind. And I see you callers, and I'm going go to go to the line. The niggas in the liberated mind, the um, liberated are the free-thinking people, have this similarity. The similarity, yes, I have the boards. The similarity between the free-thinking and the liberated is when they realize they don't assimilate that society, that the state, will call them a nigger. Now, the liberated mind who will not assimilate with that thing that doesn't agree with them will begin to create a counter-institutions, institutions to combat racism, institutions to combat oppression. It will begin to, they will begin to create defense mechanisms to defend said institutions and a social order that will ensure the rights and guarantee the rights of all people up under this uh, ideology of philosophy or state of black nationalism, point blank. Basically, the liberated mind begins to create things. They begin to create things that look out for their own. The nigger who has been labeled like the liberated mind, an outlaw by the state, takes on an outlaw mentality and becomes an outlaw, period. See, this is where the confusion comes in because we will allow this nigga to come in because he's talking this outlaw talk. And we understand what Field Marshal George Jackson said in uh, some of his writings. He said the revolutionary must come to grips with being an outlaw because eventually going against the state, you will do something that the state deems illegal. But they take it to the next level. But we, the revolutionary begins to fall in love with this nigga's rhetoric, begins to fall in love with this nigga's jargon, with this nigga's rap, of uh, vigilanteism and outlawism and romanticism and uh, phantasisms and all other isms are just spitting bullshit, selling dreams. But since it's against the state, it sounds good. The problem with what you have to understand about a nigga is a nigga has no loyalty. That those laws are not, those acts that this Negro is talking about are not acts of revolution but acts of lawlessness. They have no purpose. They have no intention. They're just acts of lawlessness. Then this Negro will suck you into acts of lawlessness, and only two things happen from that. First is the demise of your party. If you don't believe me, read some of the writing. Read the writing of Sundata Akola, who does a wonderful analysis on um, the Black Panther Party when, it, when, when he was in it, and Sundata Akola was one of the brothers that was with uh, Sister Asada Shakur, our comrade Asada Shakur, uh, on the uh, New Jersey Turnpike when the whole drama went down. But he did a wonderful writing, and in that writing, he talks about that. He talks about the gangsterism in the party, not the lack of discipline in certain aspects to where the whole gangster thing would creep into the party. 
You see? So we have to be ever vigilant of this nigga who, because we share these outlawed, this same type of uh, outcast title placed on us by the state, still understanding, though. The revolutionary still must understand the difference between lawlessness and acts of revolution. And this is how the nigga eases in there. Like I told you, the nigga's primary thing is to survive. So the nigga eases into our movement, and it's like a wolf in a sheep's den. Because he has the dialect, maybe even has the dashiki or two, has read a book or two and quote a book or two. And before you know it, the wolf is in the sheep's den eating the sheep because we thought he was one of us. Let's go to our phone lines. I see you, area code. Five one two zero nine one five. Welcome to the show. Your mic's open. Hey, how's it going, brother? This is brother Washington, Minister of Defense in Austin, Texas. What? What's going on, brother? I'll pause to the people. How's the minister? I'll pause to the people. Black power. Yeah, um, brother. I, I like the way you worded most of this stuff because most brothers nowadays they come out and they just say white people are prejudiced instead of racist. And they don't know the difference. Like you said, now they got this moral where they make it look good rather than bad for economically when the brother is doing the same thing to his own people, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I like I like this chapter that, you know, has begun within the ranks. So I'm willing to sacrifice my time to make sure it stays not righteous because we're tired of being righteous and still coming up short, I want it to be purified. You know what I mean? We right on. Purify our right hearts, on. our minds, our spirits, our souls, our brothers and our sisters to be able to come up out of this oppression and have a true, strong black nationality without these oppressions mm-hmm. around. Because once we're strong, mm-hmm. we're going to just laugh at them again like they're coming out of the closet. Like, we already know y'all coming mm-hmm. out of the closet. Y'all so weird to us. Mhm. Mhm. I just, I just got out of jail off of being oppressed, and you know, I, I took a lot of time, and I started reading Psalms. You know, they took me back to Psalms because I'm Hebrew, and I was like, mm-hmm. wow, the way King David worded so many words, they just wanted to kill mm-hmm. me. You know what I mean? Coming at mm-hmm. you with my fist and my power, I'm coming at you with my father's power. So what's up now? Yeah. Well, you know, it's like it goes back to like what you were saying, man. It goes back to um, really being in line. And a lot of our people are not aligned with, a lot of our people are not aligned with their ancestors, not aligned with what we're trying to do because there is no goal and there is no focus. We're angry. And this is what we were talking about when we talk about the nigga. A lot of times we're on the lookout for the house nigga. We're on the lookout for the nigga who openly endorses and supports the state. We'll say that's a house nigga. But very rarely, you know what I'm saying, are we on the lookout for the nigga that speaks like us, that dresses like us, but has no real solution for us. It's easier for them now to slip agency in on us, and sometimes not even agents, just provocateurs. And here's the crazy thing. Sometimes they're not even paid by the state. Some of these niggas just don't have nothing to do. You know, and they cause disruption. Right, they cause disruption and chaos. This is why... We teach, and I'm glad that you're home, Brother Minister, too, and, and, and we'll talk about that, man, so you can give a report on that. But this yeah, is why we teach. Like, 
Yes, sir. We'll talk. We'll talk. We'll talk. Yes, sir. We'll talk. Uh, but this is why we at the People's Black Panther Party for self-determination, we talk about ideology and the importance of ideology. Because we always talking to you've always heard me saying, you and hear the comrades say, the members say, all my skin folks ain't my kin folk. You dig where I'm mm-hmm. coming from? So if you don't have that yeah. black nationalist ideology, and what is the black nationalist ideology? Two of the fundamentals of black nationalist ideology is unity and solidarity. When you have, it's imperative. Here's why ideology is important. Because your ideology consists of principles. Your ideology consists of principles. And for all of those people in the People's Black Panther Party self-determination, I want you to, I know the chief has sent it out, the seven political principles of our party. But every ideology has principles. And so this is why ideology is important. You can tell your brother, especially in your party, if they're sticking to those principles. See, if black nationalism has principles, and you're telling me you're a black nationalist, and you a staunch black nationalist, and you about, and I know one of the principles of black nationalism is unity and solidarity, but you over here in my ear can't stand that nigga. Got to roll up on that nigga. Now, I got to question your black nationalism, brother, because black nationalism mm-hmm. is about unity and solidarity. And what you speaking mm-hmm. now is divisive. So now I got a question, yeah. are you a liberated thinking man, or are you a nigga amongst us? You see what I'm saying? You were speaking all the right stuff until you did that shit. Well, now, see, brother, he really ain't, he's with the white man. He's with the, man, listen, brother, we don't do that type of talk. We don't do the whoop, the whoop, the whoop. That brother's not a threat or harm or this. Just sitting around and hating for the sake of hating is not beneficial, not productive. It's not black nationalism, yeah. philosophy, nor in action. So that's the mm-hmm. whole, you know, so that's the whole thing. That's what we and that's what we build on. And this is how we have to be vigilant for against the nigga amongst us. The time for being, what are the young people called? Thirsty. That's what they call it, thirsty. Thirsty. The time for these organizations for being thirsty are done. We're not looking for how many times have the people heard me say, we're not looking for uh, quantity. We're looking for the quality. You know, so we we want to be we want to be ever vigilant, brother. I'm gonna go to our phone lines. I'm gonna leave your mic open for a little bit in case you want to jump back in there, brother minister. Well, let's go to our phone lines. All power to the people, man. Glad to have you on. Area code five zero five nine eight nine nine. Your mic is open. Peace, my brother. All power to the people. Definitely. Uh, Peace. It's been a minute, Yanga. How are you, brother? I'm good, man. What's going on, brother? It's been a second, man. It's been a <laughs> yeah, second. Yeah, it has been. It has I, been. Trump's yes, America, I boy, this my, is a busy place. <laughs> hey, man, listen. I, Trump's America. Mm. I had to do, I was, getting, I was so overwhelmed, and not just by the mm. external forces, like you said, Trump's America, but walking mm-hmm. through Trump's America, talking to our people. I just took some time off from right. radio, time off from, you know, doing major things, outings and stuff mm-hmm. to really, right. I wanted right. to just travel amongst the people again. You know, as revolutionaries, right. sometimes we get called not speaking and we're on the radio and we're going to this lecture right. and we're doing this and that, that we forget to get amongst boo-boo, Shanika and them, mm-hmm. and just hire right. the people we need to be, see where we, they at. We need to be in them backyards. We need to be at them cookouts. Yes, we need to yes, be sir. around our mm-hmm. folks. I did the same. I did the mm-hmm. same thing in 2016. Um, I traveled. Okay. I went to the worst parts of Chicago and other places, and you know, uh, I got to see our people in their element, and I also got to see white folks in their element. 
Yeah. And, um, yeah, yeah it, it was definitely, it was something that the brother, and I'm glad he's home now, that he said about a purity. And the one thing that I've noticed with America, the only thing that's ever been pure here was the hate. That has always been pure. It didn't matter whether it was black on black or white on black or whatever. And, and on, the hate that we have with each other is, is I'm, I'm glad that you brought this is a perfect topic, man. You know, and you are going to be part of the roundtable because I'm going to put one together. I need, we need some brains to right. help us figure out yeah. how yeah. to, because we can't kill niggas. That's not right. gonna save us. It's not going that's that's just, you know, that that's that totally defeats the purpose. We, but yeah. we, we also have to be careful about how we uh allow them in. Uh it was a nigger, yeah. William O'Neill that, that, you know, set up and gave keys mm-hmm. to the police to kill Fred uh Hampton. You know, it yeah. was a nigger who set up uh Geronimo Pratt. It was a nigger who was, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we have to look at, at this because this is there are a lot of that's a, a lot of that happening in all the the nationalist groups where we have these people who come in like you said they come in and they say everything and they want to do everything and you know and then you turn around and wonder wait the group is not flourishing even though we have this person supposedly in here helping and yeah, somehow absolutely. there's distraction and confusion and when you do start to boil it down and you actually see what's left in the pot it's that nigger. It's that, it's that nigger. nigger. <laughs> Look, like you said, when it's all boiled down with the residue, that nigger. And absolutely. Yeah. And this is why it's mm-hmm. imperative. You know, I'm always pushing out there, Brother Cosby, man, that our people have to um, train and not just physically train. I love the physical training. Right. But ideologically mm-hmm. trained and party trained, I, I do have to brag on my chief of staff, who I have to say is one of the best at that, but administratively trained. And here's, here's mm-hmm. why that's important, like you said, because when we don't ideologically train as revolutionaries, these niggas do come amongst us. But when you're yeah, trained, dude. you can see the telltale signs. Like, one of the things I look for, and I'm big on this unity and solidarity, when these niggas come towards me and begin to talk about other black leaders in the organization. Because I know they don't want yeah. that round table you're talking about. They don't want that collective. They don't mm-hmm. want that think tank. You know. So right. my thing is, okay, and we so need all, you know, brother so and so, and we need it. So they come in, they get yeah. in your ear, brother so and so, ain't this, ain't that. I say, how about we call brother so and so? Let's call it. Right. You know what I'm saying? Let's right. call it. Just, you know how to, it, it, it's it's that simple. But um, yeah, I think you know yeah. what ends up happening is it because we all deal with. Here's the reality of the situation, and this is tough. We all deal with a little niggerism. We all deal. It's not just the nigger amongst us. Sometimes it's the nigger in us. You right. know. But we also, so we, we, so we, we have to also work on that nigger in us because that's part of the sickness. I mean, we have to accept that the fact is, that we are in a unhealthy mm-hmm. situation here. Um, you can't mm-hmm. be well. You know, if you're sitting around a bunch of sickness and that nigger, that is a sickness. It's a sickness that's in our mind and it's in our spirit. And getting it out, you know, I mean, brothers that can control it, sisters that can control it, yeah, they're going to seem like they got it figured out. But, you know, uh, everybody has that nigger in them. You said the key thing. You said a key thing. It's a sickness, it's an addiction, like any Mm -hmm. sickness and addiction. 
what I think one of the things they tell you is to stay away from that, to stay away from those people and that addiction. You know, if you formally smoke cigarettes, you don't want to go to the cigarette lounge and hang out or be around a bunch of people that smoke cigarettes is going to cause it up. So knowing that we have this nigga in us, when it pops up and emerges in our party, it is our response, and not just in our party, in our everyday life, in our social interactions, it is our responsibility anywhere. It is our responsibility to check that nigga, to reject that nigga, Mm -hmm. deject the nigga that we bumped into, and ostracize and isolate that nigga so much from our surroundings that it is uncomfortable for them to come around with that type of behavior. We have allowed in the movement niggas to come in and dictate the morals and the ethics of the black power movement. This is why we have so much foolishness. This is why our program is always talking about male and female relationship, this sister doing this, brother doing that, they're taking this money, they're taking that money, because we have allowed the niggas to come in and begin to feed on us. Right. And 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 to misuse us and it is a lack of an understanding of our ideology because we've embraced this um all loving standing of black nationalism that we don't think that we can have discernment. We don't think we right. have the right to be um judgmental. Shit, I'll say it. Listen, man, black national act like that, brother. What you're doing is wrong, man. You still in front of people. Right. The man the black panther mind you says you shouldn't take a, a steal a piece of needle or thread from the masses. You're over here misleading right. people, taking money, promising exactly. this and ain't delivering that. I can't be a part right. of that. In fact I gotta expose you to the masses. Exactly. You know? Exactly. I remember yeah. in, in in Cleveland, and I'm not gonna say the brother's name, man, they had this one particular brother that was doing that. Was you know going to different organizations, making long distance phone calls, getting money out here. Man, you know mm-hmm. what those organizations? They put a council together of all the progressive organizations. You know what they did on that brother? They put mm-hmm. warning posters all over Cleveland on that brother. War- warning That's posters. Beware Perfect. this brother. Perfect. In you the know, black. Community. I had a situation. I had a situation yeah. where I had a young man who came at me and told me how he had avoided the gangs. And he did this, and this was out of New Jersey. And, you know, he wanted to, you know, uh, you know, go with the spirit of the ancestors. And, oh, man, the way he was talking, I, I you know, I said, let me keep him close to me. Because if he's right, if he's true in what he's saying, I want him near me. Mm-hmm. And if he's full of shit, I want him near me <laughs> so that right. I can reach out and grab him. Right. You know what I'm saying? So come to find out, young man, size that, you know, he's doing this and uh, I'm involving him in some things and, you know, and I'm slowly moving him up. And then I come to find out that not only was he womanizing with some of my queens, but he was selling cocaine. And I had a problem with all of that, you know, and here's somebody, he's still in the game. He's still he uh, went with another group because when he brought his friend in and his friend, he, his friend had a great idea, you know, um, mm-hmm. setting up, getting some food, got a food program going, you know. But my problem with yeah. that is, is you're funding it by selling drugs. So some of the people who are coming to get food from you are your customers. So how yeah, do you absolutely. think that that, how, how does that look, person who's coming to you? You know, because uh, a drug dealer, all they sell is hope. So uh, this person is coming to you, 
and getting their drugs, and then because they can't feed their family, they come in to you for assistance with the food. And I know this has to to create turmoil, you know, kind of revise that nigger deep in you when you see something like that because the hypocrisy is a slap in your face. It'll you know? never be, so, let me tell you, that will never get off the ground. I think that we forget, that's what the, this whole, our revolutionary understanding, the movement to a lot of people have be, has become just uh, a a side thing they do. It's a, right. you know, it's it's cheek right now. It's it's the thing that's mm-hmm. in, to be conscious, right. to be down with something. Not understanding, not only, you know, are we looking for the political empowerment, not only looking for social empowerment, but moral empowerment. Right. You know what I'm saying? We want these people to feel, mm-hmm. you know, we want to morally inspire. We want the people to be so inspired and motivated that they participate in their own liberation struggle. We've been kicked. We've been lied to. We've been spat upon by our own people. So how hard right. must it be to have spent all of your money on drugs, not be able to feed your right. kids, and go right. down here? Look, have to take already have to face the shame of taking your children down here to where these black family people, whatever, feeding the people and going there and the damn dope man's in there passing out plates. Yeah. You, you know, know and, yeah. And, I mean, yo. Yeah. And you know what's funny about that was when I did uh you know, and I immediately addressed it. The issue as soon as I found out I immediately addressed it and of course that was when the Revolutionaries got behind me, and the niggas got behind him. Absolutely. So i i looked at I looked at the positive in it, which was you just saved me a whole lot of time of having to figure out who's doing what and who's real and where they really at. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it saved me time. So you know, in the the words of a young man who was in the movie Bamboozled, <laughs> and the statement they made, niggas is a beautiful thing <laughs> because wow. because you can learn as much from somebody's lie as you can from their truth. And um, yeah. with that, I'm going to yield, brother. I appreciate you. I'm glad you're back on, too. <laughs> oh, man, I, I appreciate you, and thank you for calling in, brother, man. It's going to be good to have you back. I always enjoy our conversation. But absolutely. Definitely. You know, and this is, and, and, and this, you know, like the brother's saying, this is why this is important because this has happened. Our movement has become so infiltrated and saturated with this nigger mentality that their uh, vices and their lack of understanding, their weakness and immoral ways are beginning to creep into the philosophy and the literature and the teachings of true black nationalism. Like our defense minister said, we are losing the purity of it. You know, I know the arguments. Right. I hear the dope people say, well, you know, look, bro, you know, I'm trying to get that money. I'm trying to hustle. When I hear that. But we got to understand right. where that's coming from and who is saying that. That's that nigga. We're not saying right. that. We're not faulting you for having for being a nigga. We understand that if you have come through this American process at one point of your time, one point of time, you have tasted niggerism. You have right. tasted because it is it's inter, it's interwoven. Like I talk about racism interwoven in American fabric. Niggerism is interwoven in the African fabric of American people here. It has been it's it's has been used. It is such a uh, ambiguous word and ambiguous state of being and philosophy and ideology and context in its whole creation that there have been 
lectures and literature and poems and everything written on the word nigga, what a nigga is, what makes a nigga. I mean, it is just that much of a phenomenon. So it has, at one point in time, touched our life. What we're saying, though, is that we can't allow this niggerism to be so uh, prevalent in us or to be so accepted by us that niggas will come in and not only bring themselves into our fold, begin, but begin to justify their understanding of why they do what they do, not understanding that the revolutionary must be an elevated type. Exactly. You see, it is we have to look to begin to build outside of the conflict and confrontation. Too many, to me, in my opinion, too many organizations concentrate on the conflict and the confrontation, and that's necessary. So when that time comes, we want to be prepared for not looking at the rebuilding process or the maintaining process through the conflict and the confrontation, the maintaining of um, cultural, maintaining teachings of culture, education, mathematics, science, whatever, making sure and ensuring the continuation of a people. See, this is what our whole mission is about. Our mission, especially um, when we talk about at the Black Panther Party for Self-Determination, is self-sufficiency, is to be completely and totally self-sufficient, to be dependent only on ourselves. And in our fight to do that, we say as revolutionaries we are humanists, in our fight we are saying that because we believe that the highest aspiration for any human being should be able to reach their fullest potential without being hindered. And we understand the potential of the African uh, man and woman here in America has no limitation. And that if it goes unchecked, if it goes unhindered, if it it stopped intentionally being obstructed, that there is nothing that we can't accomplish, even our separation, independence, and uh, empowerment, liberation. As a people, if if not in the beginning, if not physically in the beginning, at least economically, socially, education, and politically, and then eventually the ass will follow eventually. But it begins somewhere there. The nigga doesn't want this independence. The nigga doesn't want this thinking to take hold. Why? Because first of all, then the nigga has to change the nigga's lifestyle. Like the brother was talking about the brother that was womanizing. You see, when the lifestyle changes, when the revolutionaries elevate, and when society, the black society elevates, then we're not saying that you can't have no woman, but we're saying where's the responsibility and accountability? Because this sister has brothers. They may not be her biological brothers, but they are brothers. The revolutionary understands that when the revolutionary takes an oath, and the revolutionary takes an oath to protect the women and children. He means just that, even the women within their rank. And that might even mean against you, brother, and you may not want to see what's going to visit you should you do some harm, disrespect, or something to this black woman who has um, got into this fold and taken an oath that I have taken. That's right. See, but we don't understand because we don't want to check the nigga in us. So a lot of us as brothers, and even some of you sisters, even some of you sisters who know that it is some nigger stuff going on with other sisters, but the nigger in you won't allow you to check your sister, won't allow you to be right and exact with your sister and say, hey, sister, what you're doing is wrong because that nigger, when you check that nigger in her, you have to check that nigger in you. 
Right. And the nigga and, and the nigga niggas love acceptance. Niggas want to be accepted. You see, the free, the liberated thinking man or woman understands just that liberation to be free, even to be free from the constraints of uh, peer pressure or worrying about or succumbing to what society thinks of you. This is what the liberated person thinks. And it's hard for the African man or woman to really grasp this understanding of liberation. Why? Because we have been born in and continue to live in captivity. To some of us, it liberation really is a foreign concept. It is so foreign that we will take the trinkets, we will take the peanuts handed to us and think that we have arrived because the attack has become materialistic and consumerism. Materialism and consumerism is the new attack because they flood every desire we have. We got the 56 cents, I got the 20 inch rims, I'm eating this, I wear this. Since they flood every physical desire, we in our minds who have been deprived of pleasures, a lot of physical pleasures for years, think that we have arrived. We have think we have arrived. Still not being in control of production of our means. Still not being in control of the curriculum that educates our children. Still not being in control of the a way that we socially interact or how our neighborhoods are built because of zoning laws or, or, or financial allegations where they're giving money to or how many people can be or be there. You're not in control of your life. We're not liberated. And a lot of that we can thank not just to outside forces, but this nigga amongst us, this nigga amongst us who thrives off of the chaos, who thrives off of the division, who thrives off of the dissension in us for whatever reason. It may be a few pennies he's getting from a being or she's getting from being over a party and scared that if they come together with other like-minded individuals, then it's going to take some of their time, their money. Maybe they're really scared of change. The last poet said niggas are scared of revolution. Maybe the African man or woman see niggas are scared of change. Niggas have gotten comfortable in their lifestyle. Even if that lifestyle hurts them, they've become comfortable in their pain and their misery and their suffering. They come up with cliches. It's all good, my nigga. <laughs> they tell you it's all good. No, bro, actually it's not. It is not all good, black man. So we've come up with slogans to mask the hurt that that afflicts us every day, the pain that is inflicted upon us every day by an oppressive state and oppressive people. And we become comfortable with it. So when the liberation mind, the liberated mind comes around and talks about this thing called freedom, this thing called empowerment, you say, man, it sounds good, but what comes with it? Responsibility, accountability, work, commitment, dedication. Oh, shit, that's, that, it, it, it makes the nigga uncomfortable, you understand. The nigga gets very uncomfortable. You're saying some words now. You're talking about taking my destiny into my own hands. You're talking about study. You're talking about learning some real skills. You would be surprised how many people, and this is why I have to send a shout-out to that Austin, my defense minister at at Austin that just came home, and the chairman, I believe, uh, the chairman's in Arizona now, out of Austin. I have to send him a shout-out, give a shout-out, because I understand 
how difficult it is to elevate into a revolutionary type. And I've seen the people fall off because you must become a different person. And like I said, my chief of staff is a stickler on certain things. So in the party, you learn how to file a proper report. You learn how to write a report. You learn proper communicate techniques. You begin begin to learn to be and evolve to be a revolutionary type, to be able to get out and help to galvanize and organize the masses of people. How are we going to organize the masses of people? We're not organized. Because you put a beret and a button on a nigga, don't make a nigga a Black Panther. Mm -hmm. You can give that nigga the official UEP Newton leather jacket and beret. It won't make a nigga a Black Panther without the process that it takes to make a revolutionary black man, a black woman, black man. There's a process. And the nigga will constantly try to undermine this process. But the black man and the black woman must uh, hold steady. We have to, we, we have to hold steady. And therefore, and that's why I'm always talking about that importance of ideology. You got to sit down and call time. You're listening to the People's Black Panther Party for Self-Determination. I'm your brother, National Chairman Yang and Krumah. Have my brother call, call in. Kevin, man, it's always good to hear from him. Call in. What's your take on it? I see you on the phone lines. Maybe people are just listening like, wow. I was that king. You know. But it's 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 open because we all know Niggas in the movement Like we all know niggas in life We all know niggas in the movement So what is the solution How do we deal With niggerism I know me personally One I do The first step I do is An intense I believe in intense education process I believe in intense training I think that the revolutionary organizations Are progressive African black organizations have to step it up a notch, not a notch, two, three, or four notches. We have to become not even just discreet, but really raise the bar that we start to become the creme de la creme, that the movement, the black power movement, ceases to be a joke, that it starts to elevate to such a level that it can attract the type of people that can bring in the know-how, the resources, not just material resources, but intellectual properties, the mental resources, the heart, the commitment, the intentions to really propel our whole movement forward. As of now, the way it is now, how it's dragging and lacking, you see the type of people that we attract to the movement. The dregs a lot of times. I don't call a spade a spade. We attract the people that no other organizations would accept. And they understand that we love black people, so they say, I'm going to go over where they love black people. And we sit here and we listen to this nigga talk crazy. We sit here and listen to the nigga talk crazy. All for the sake of saying we filled the seat in the building, not understanding the detriment we're doing to the, the black power movement because you may have had that brother or sister sitting in there who was really interested and really sincere and had something to bring, but since we're entertaining fools now, for the sake of entertainment, those people that really can contribute are turned off. We have to raise the bar, but in order to raise the bar, it's going to take study, it's going to take commitment, it's going to take a goal and an objective, an aim. 
We have to know what we're trying to accomplish. I would advise long-term aims and objectives and short-term aims and objectives. Or we will constantly just pushing and promoting programs. The so-called originals were bigger than just programs. The programs were a step to a means or a means to an objective. <clears throat> the objective was socialism, was communalism, was the complete self-sufficiency of the people to be dependent and reliant on themselves. That they could do it, that we could do it as an African people. And the programs were just steps to show us they were, um, what they call them, microcosms of a macrocosm, a small scale of a larger scale. What are we doing now? Our programs now are a lot of programs just to feel good, to say that we're active, to ease our conscience. We know long-term goals and effects because none of us are in it for the long haul like that right now at this time. Like I said before, it's like a part-time. We get in it for the sometime. Not understand that this must permeate and take over, take every aspect and control of our life when you become a black nationalist. This is what this show is on today, about really just assessing your understanding of black nationalism, if you're a black nationalist, or whatever ideology you follow, if you're a pan-Africanist or repatronist, whatever, if you're in something that's empowering for African people in America, black people, melanated people in America, this is now the time to evaluate that to make sure that you're just not a nigger. That you're just not a nigger. That you're not content with nigger, verbiage alert, with nigger shit. What do I mean by nigger shit? Meaning that we will yoke and work all day, nine to five, no problem. We will slave, we will do everything that we're supposed to do, and then get home, but won't say anything about black empowerment. Won't speak to black people. Won't, and I'm not talking about being out there with your red, black, and green beads on, hollering black power at the top of your lungs. I'm just talking about being a black man. We will be invisible yeah. in the world. We won't even let our person speak for itself. We won't even let our person be large in life. We will be invisible. If we had a job and you have to work the job, be the best at the goddamn job. Let them know you can't listen. I worked at a moving company. Let me show you how black nationalist I am. And this is the difference between the liberated mind and the nigger mind. I worked at a moving company before I began to run the crew, was out there with other brothers in Mexico. And I'm so nationalist, I can't let the Mexican outwork me. If the Mexican put a couch on his back, I'll put the whole living room suit on mine. I cannot let any other people outwork the black man. And I had Negroes. Black people telling me you out here timing for the white folks. You out here doing it. She let them do that. She let them do that. Where's the race pride? I can't, I'm not going to let nobody. So even in my nationalism, even in my work, but you will find these Negroes that they um, just kind of blend in. They kind of fade into an obscurity. And then they get home behind their computers, turn on the computers, and they king Lollapalooza 
of the Af- of, of of the country yup yup in Africa somewhere. It's crazy. They transform and become a totally different person. It's like schizophrenia. But the black nationalists, the truth, this is the, the hallmarks and the traits of a nigga. You see, a nigga is cowardly, really, in his nature. A nigga goes along to get along. A nigga has no identity of their own. A nigga follows fads and trends. A nigga just goes with the crowd. And so when they get home, they have this alter ego that they transform into and they become super black person. You have to watch this person. These are the characteristics of a nigga. Because when the doodle hits the fan, when the pressure is on, when it's time to stand up and proclaim that strong black identity, that strong black nationality, you find this Negro wavering and floundering. Floundering. Not really being dedicated or sincere to what they told you they were sincere. And a nigga will get you killed. That's what they always told me in the street. Nigga, get you killed. And this is what we have to, the revolutionary has to contend with. Oh, my brothers and sisters. Oh, my dear brothers and sisters. This serves as a warning. Like our dear brother Kevin said, we're living in Trump's America. If no other time, then now should you be on alert. If no other time, now should be the time that you're on alert. And a part of that being on alert is preparedness. And a part of being preparedness is knowing what you're being, what you're preparing for, knowing what you're preparing against, knowing what you're trying to do and where you want to go. And that starts with knowing who you are. That starts with knowing who you are so that you, you will know when or not to compromise your beliefs or not. Sorry about that, trying to multitask. So you would know whether or not you're compromising your beliefs or not. And the only way to know that is to know what you believe. See, the war is so, this thing that has been waged against black America, it's been going on since the time they came and enslaved us. Since they put shackles on, there has been a war waged against melanated people. And it's so much, it's so overwhelming that a lot of times we don't know where to start. But we want to start somewhere. And we're sincere. This is why I'm saying those of us, the sincere ones amongst us, the informed ones amongst us, it's our job to expose that Negro, to expose that nigga, and protect the sincere ones that haven't come across that nigga from that nigga. Because they're looking for, the people are looking for an out. The people are looking for a remedy for the problem that they're facing. And you can't tell them they're not facing problems. They know that they are. They know that they're facing problems. But the everyday, the average brother and sister, the brother and sister that's out there that's trying to eke out a living, that's trying to exist in a world that is making it very difficult for the black man and the black woman to exist, don't want to hear fantastic rhetoric. They don't want to hear pie in the sky. They don't want to, the churches and the masses and the synagogues have provided enough of that for us on their holy days to give us an alternative to the reality we're facing. The black man and black woman here in America today, brothers and sisters, are looking for real solutions. 
They're looking for real solutions. And there are real solutions out there. One of our biggest problems, though, is the steam. We run out of steam. We didn't find ourselves in these conditions overnight. And overnight, you would not find yourselves out of these conditions. That is very real. You've heard it before. I don't know if it's sunk in. So a lot of times, we feel like it's just easier to give up. It's just easier to assimilate, to fall in line with everyone else. And why not? We find that those that assimilate and integrate are rewarded. The best jobs, the raises, they get to live in the best neighborhoods. The assimilus is rewarded tangibly, materially. But oh, the psychological toll that it takes on that black man or that black woman to be something other than themselves, to be something other than who you really are. The toll that it takes. But from the outside, it looks good, especially when you're looking at the struggle that we face day to day for being black. But the revolutionary, the progressive, the liberated thinking man or woman says that, you know what, I'm going to hold out because to assimilate doesn't fit my character. It's other than who I am. It makes me uneasy, uncomfortable. And we love this feeling. I love when African people get this feeling. I love when they're uneasy and they're uncomfortable. Here's what I don't love. I don't love that we don't have organizations ready to snatch them up and to at least attempt to provide some comfort and some ease or some answers or some answers to the questions that they have. One of the things that we look back, I, you know, I'm reminded in just saying that when I look back uh, when, when uh, during the emancipation, after the emancipation proclamation and that whole thing, um, so-called freeing of African people here in America to slavery, they had something called Freeman society. The Freeman Society, Freeman School, Freeman, and it was to help ex-slaves get acclimated. It was to help to get them running in society, coming from where you didn't have any rights, nor did you some certain business skills and certain practices being sociable on a level of being free was was new. I mean, just imagine that. I can walk and go visit here, go visit there, so if as long as it ain't at night and these crackers don't catch me. But there are certain things I can do now I couldn't do then. So they had societies that would teach. They would teach them reading and things of that nature. This is what the revolutionary in this day and time should be modeling the their parties after, in my opinion, of course. They should become parties and institutions to help the black man and black woman get acclimated to the changes that are happening around us daily, right here as we speak. Turn on CNN. But a lot of us don't understand when we go to the masses what Trump America means. They know something ain't right about Trump, but they don't know what that means for them. All the revolutionaries explaining that. How this affects you directly. How this affects you indirectly. Here's what you can do about it. It may not, and don't be discouraged. We need to get out of this. The revolution, one of the things the revolutionary should teach, and I constantly preach this, is an end to that immediate gratification thing going on. I call it the microwave syndrome. 
We want it instantaneously. So we say, just like going back to the Trump thing, well, what's the whole point in the political process? It doesn't work. It doesn't. And I can understand that sentiment, especially on the national level. But I tell them on a local level, politics affects you directly. Directly. And even if you don't vote, you at least want to know what the hell people are talking about in your neighborhood. You should. And for those of us that do go and know people in our neighborhood that don't, here's what I recommend organizations do. Take little memos, run them off, and listen, pass out flyers about what they're talking about in the community. You know they're talking about putting the fence up. You know they talking about you can't have pets anymore. You know they talking about X Y Z X Y Z. Start out with with small local activist work. I would encourage the revolutionary because a lot of us, like I said, this battle was so overwhelming. We want to jump in and we want to end police brutality, end the murder of the police. You know, police murdering us, end police brutality. I agree with that, but it starts on a local level. I tell them, do you know? that your police commissioner runs for office? Do you know that that's an elected office, an elected seat? So you can do the research, find out who this cat is, their track record and whatever, and even if you don't vote, you can tell people, I wouldn't vote for that cat. He kills niggas. He kills black people. It's just about self-determination. It's about just being involved in your destiny. That's what it's about. Being involved in your destiny. Let's go to my phone lines. Area code eight three two six one five one. Your mic is open. Black power, all power to the people. Honorable Chairman. Black power, all power. This is, uh, brother, this is brother James out yes, of Austin. Sir, you know, I just got a question, brother? brother Chairman. How do you, how do you motivate the energy and the spirit to ignite that? that state of uh, complacency. You know, uh, a lot of our people, like you were saying earlier, as far as just talking the rhetoric or just, you know, uh, having that, that per se media revolution, how, how do we ignite that, that boot on ground, you know, that just that tenacious drive to really just be a part in this problem because it's, they just putting it right there in our face. Uh, our, our chairman, they just telling us our worth and our value. They've been telling us for years, but now even more so, you know, and, and it seemed like our people are still, you know, shunning the fact or shunning the reality that this is going on, that they are really killing us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, you know, one, I would say, like you said, the first is just putting the boots on the ground. And then secondly, it depends how you how your party rocks. Like, you got to be in them streets, for lack of better words, what right. they say. You have to be in them streets. If you have a, some young people, like when I was in Atlanta, down in Atlanta, in my first organizing, I had a lot of young people. Yes. Malik Zulu Shabazz told me, and this is when I was under uh, Chairman Malik Zulu, then the Chairman Malik Zulu Shabazz, New Black, uh, um, New Black Family Party. Uh, yes. He had seen Atlanta tap. He said, man, I haven't seen this many young people since Dr. Khalid Abdul-Muhammad. And so, but how did I attract that many young people? Because... I knew what they were. They were into the hip-hop. They were into that. I let them do their thing and meet people where they were. Right. Yes, sir. You know what I'm saying? 
And that's that's yeah. how you're gonna get the people involved in she to bombard the masses of people, we already know that we're under attack and everything is just so overwhelming. Begin right. to find out where the people at and you meet them there. If you go to a school board meeting, I'm assuming the people in there are interested in education. See, I'm not going to go to the school board meeting and talk about machine guns. Correct. You dig? If I'm going to the community yes. garden, I'm assuming everybody out there is into garden and maybe possibly healthy living this. So I'm going to talk that language. I'm going to get involved, and I'm going to show them where the party is involved in that and how can we as the party help get this message out there to the masses. Yeah. To, the, to the masses. Our job as revolutionaries is not – we think – you know, a lot of times revolutionaries just think to lead the masses. It's to assist the masses in getting the message out there – and, and helping to create a better lifestyle. So if I got somebody, like I said, that does help, I want to work with them, that team, and how can we start to disseminate this message of help? But we have to be out there. We got to go to meetings. We got to interact with people. The comrades that we do have, and I would tell all the comrades listening on the line for this, this is the importance of, of meeting once a week. It builds up that camaraderie, you know, sit at the coffee shop and having a cup of coffee. A political revolution, an educational revolution, an economical revolution all starts from a social revolution. The people have to be tired of their social conditions. And then from that point, be willing to change and do whatever it takes to change the social condition. So you constantly have to point out the uh, flaws and fallacies in the social condition or just the uh, hardships in their social condition right, uh, along right. the lines that they're comfortable with. I don't know if that makes sense. You understand where I'm coming from? Copy. Yes, sir. It made complete sense. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Black power. No problem. No problem. Yeah. Black power. All power to the people. So power this, is, this is, yes, sir. So this is the job of the, the, the revolutionary. This is the job of the revolutionary. This is one of the revolutionaries' tasks. How do we like um, Brother Chairman, I believe it was Brother Chairman Griffin. I believe that's who that was. Out of, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, Brother Chairman. So, um, like the brother said, you know, to galvanize, not just galvanize and mobilize the masses, but to inspire in them the, the desire, to inspire in them the desire to fight for their own liberation. To inspire for them the desire to participate in their own empowerment. This is the task of the revolutionary. And outside of the sensationalism. See, I think that we get it twisted. The sensationalism has given us the impression that we're really doing something. We get 20 or 30, 40, 50, me, 150, 200, how many ever likes on YouTube, and we really think that we're doing something. Correct. This has Correct. been one of the greatest and detrimental pieces of technology to face us because it has limited our social interaction with one another. On a real scale. Yes. It has made everything, everything is so commercial commercial now and image-oriented that we don't even really listen to messages nor look at what um, our, our production, what's being produced. We get on there, like I said, we watch the video or something, we hit a like, 
We might even subscribe to the channel, and that's the extent of our revolutionary information, our revolutionary knowledge, and our revolutionary participation. Correct. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's as far as that's gonna. That's as far as that's gonna go. And I'm not asking the revolutionary to get out there today and to you know get out there with your your, your AK and to stop traffic or anything like that. I'm saying be involved in empowering African people, and that can start in your, it does start in your home. It starts right there. The revolutionary ideology and philosophy is a concept. Black nationalism is a way. It is just not a fly word. It is a a substance. It is what you are and who you are. Right, right. That's what black nationalism is. And this is what the revolutionary, the black nationalist revolutionary must begin to promote and push, especially in this day of, like we talk about Trump's America, in this day of fascism, brothers, sisters. It's real. Laws are being changed, taken, snatched from us. People are being oppressed right before our very eyes, and we shake our head and say, that's a shame. Children, at one point in time, were being ripped from their parents' arms, very reminiscent of slavery, and we become so detached, so dehumanized, that we would just say it's a shame if any of us knew that that was happening at all. We've become blind to the crimes of our own country. We have become blind to the crimes of our own country, and other people in other countries look at us and wonder what's wrong with us, and we still cry victim. We still cry, oh, politics don't work for us. The white man don't listen. And they wonder why you're crying victim to be in the richest country in the world, some of your people, to be some of the wealthiest people in the world, to live in the creature comforts that you live in, and you're still crying and playing victim. You're still on the yes, bottom sir. of the totem pole. You still haven't rised up and empowered yourself and fought for your liberation. Mm. You still haven't done for yourself. Your institution, your higher institutions of learning are damn near going bankrupt. They're a joke in the, in the educational world. Your people are a joke in the international yes, world. They're wondering what's wrong with you black man and black woman because you've been taught that nationalism is wrong. You've been taught, you and I have been taught, that black nationalism is hate, while everyone around us practices nationalism. And they practice it to such a degree that it is so influential that you get sucked up in their nationalism. And they've been so thorough in discouraging you to participate in your nationalism, that you run from that, get sucked up in their nationalism, and you're more of what they are than they are. Right. Here's what I mean, and I'm not just talking about the religion. I've seen people who take martial arts, and you'd have thought this nigga was Asian. Because even in the martial <laughs> arts, they teach they, they teach their nationalism. There's certain things you must do before you come in the dojo, before you say your sensei or your seafood, before you do this and do that. There's certain recitations and certain mental disciplines yeah. and moral principles that you must adhere to, all pushing a nationalism, an Asian nationalism, or whatever particular Asian nationalism that accompanies that form of martial arts. And we suck it up. I have a brother that is a martial arts master. He's in the wow. Black Panther Party out of Ohio. Bad brother. Black Panther Party. Tough brother. 
go in his house, the brother got more Asian stuff than the Chinese restaurant. He got more, man, that brother got more. But he's a pastor. You're like, what? well, this is the yin and the yang of my so-and-so, and this is of my dojo, and this is of Negro, what? And this is how we embody, and we don't see anything wrong with embracing someone else's nationality. But when you tell the black man or the black woman you're melanated, you come from kids, I mean the very basics that you come from kings and queens, that you are black and you're from something and you're a mighty people. He'll tell you or she'll tell you, I don't want to hear that black shit. I don't want to hear that black stuff. This is what you find coming out of their mouth. And this same Negro that told you this will go into any store anywhere and make a feeble attempt at somebody else's language. I see him go in the store with the Arab. I said, I'm a Negro. I see him going to the store with the Spanish. Que pasa, amigo, mano. He will emulate and go to trying to speak other people's language and all of that, and you go speak to him, and he won't even do a head nod at you. The revolutionary understands that in order for a political, economic, educational revolution to take place, a social revolution must take place. We have to begin to see ourselves differently. And once we see ourselves differently, prayerfully, God-willing, ancestors-willing, or just good-sense-willing, we will begin to enact or interact with one another differently. But this has to be our goal. The primary goal must be the empowerment and the liberation of African people. Everything else is secondary. Everything else is secondary. And I don't have to speak rough to white people for white people to understand that. I don't have to talk rough to them for them to understand that. I've been around those Negroes that love, this is what we talk about, niggas amongst us. I didn't have niggas amongst us that think that they was going to oust me. Get around white folks. Oh, no, y'all. Man, watch this. Y'all ain't going to like white folks. Y'all ain't heard Yanga talk. I want to say thank you for the introduction, Mr. Negro. None was needed. It's not a problem. It's not a matter whether I like white folks or not, but I damn sure love African people, black people. And I know this isn't the time or place for it because it may be a job, but history bears witness to the crimes perpetrated against black people. I don't need to say no more. Your history books bear witness with it. All of a sudden, I'm supposed to be a fool and think because you come smiling in my face. And even if it isn't you, he said, well, I didn't have anything to do with that. Absolutely. But we're talking about the social condition of America. We're talking about the social fabric of America that is woven with white racism, white supremacy, white privilege, and white entitlement. So even though you directly didn't, this country is set up in such a manner that it favors you and your kind, that it turns a blind eye against your crimes perpetrated against us, that this country deliberately has laws and policies set in place to hinder and uh, stop the growth of the empowerment of African people. Yes, I they have. We'll be a fool to say that it didn't, to sit here and pretend. But at the same time, I'm not going to come to you as a demagogue with some rhetoric or some sensational, romantic type of bull stuff to sell you because I know you're frustrated, people. I feel your frustration. I'm you, you, me. We, same frustration, brother, sister, same frustration. But I would be wrong to capitalize on those feelings and those emotions 
to whip you up in a frenzy, have you bouncing off the roof and the ceilings and not offer a real solution. But the solution I'm offering you, a lot of brothers and sisters, they don't want to hear. This is why the applications either get rejected or don't get submitted at all because you don't want to hear the solution and the solution because the solution is you. The solution is you. That's it. That's it. Accountability. Responsibility. And commitment and consistency. You are the solution to the problem that you face. And together, as a people, we can begin to face the outside problems. We've seen it done so many times before. An example I like to use is Chinese people. The Chinamen was some of the people on the lowest rungs of the totem pole. At one point in time, they used the Chinese people in America to help build their railroads and to do their laundry. They used to have a saying that you don't stand a Chinaman's chance in hell. That was the saying. You don't stand a Chinaman's chance in hell. They would make fun of the Chinese. Look at the cartoons the same way that they would have uh, these, uh, I forget what they call them, these images of black people, these black faces in the cartoons that were making a mockery of the African image, they used to do the same thing to the Chinese people. And then the Chinese people had something called a mousing tongue. They came and changed the whole dynamic and the whole phenomena of how the Chinese people were looked at, how the Chinese people were perceived internationally, but most important, importantly, how the Chinese people perceived themselves. That was the most important change. Even Mao Zedong had went through that being at one point in time a staunch communist. A staunch, now he was still a communist, but a staunch Marxist Leninist. And when he seen the white entitlement and white privilege and seen how he was treat, uh, treated, Fidel the same way. That these white boys, even though they're calling themselves socialists and communists, still suffered from white entitlement, and always will and always have suffered from white privilege, looked down and talked to Mao Zedong like he was some Chinese peasant. He began to understand the importance. Though he had fought Chinese nationalists, study the history, he began to understand the importance of a Chinese identity. So much so now that you even have a form of communism called Maoist, Maoism. The African man and woman here in America must understand, we understand that there have been all kinds of influences to come into our, uh, um, not our being, but our time here in America. There have been all types of influences. And that's understandable. It happens. But what the black man and the black woman should begin to do, what I say must begin to do, is first put uh, put themselves first. This is not a new philosophy. The Honorable Marcus Messiah Garvey had taught us this philosophy. He said race first. Race first. Regardless of what you do, Christian, Muslim, Islam, whatever, Hebrew, whatever, race first. So these influences that have come into our community or these um, Mm -hmm. different aspects of culture that we have embraced, if we put race first, everything that we keep should be tested against. Is this beneficial? Is this edifying to the African race here in America? If it's not, throw it out. 
if we can build on it, then we should check it out. Maybe keep it around, at least keep it around for a little bit longer. Race first. Begin to be a people that have some race pride, that want to see us advance. This is why I'm always using these power words, empowerment, liberation, advancement, because we have become a people that have been saturated by our desires, especially our young people. And when I say our young people, a lot of times we say young people, we think that, and and the first thing that comes in our mind are these young Negroes walking up and down the street, the young brothers and sisters. I'm talking about for those of you that have young people in your house, your young people. Look at your young people. They are a testament to the state of society. And our young people are feeling privileged and entitled, making them vulnerable to any type of sick, perverse lifestyle, thinking, philosophy, ideology, anything that takes away from the liberation of African people. Our young people now are multicultural, liberal, borderline homosexuals. I'm going to call a spade a spade. Now, the main ones that will tell you they don't want to hear that black stuff, they don't care nothing about sexual orientations, they don't care nothing about black empowering politics. We all human, dude. We all, let's all, you know, what's the problem? You sounding angry. Why are you still talking like that? Because everyone does it. It's only natural. You have been in this depraved ideology or this depraved uh, mind state for so long that you don't even know that you're living unnaturally. Yeah. Yeah. You hate your own. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. To hate your own, to despise your own, to sabotage or derail your own, to murder your own and to rob from your own, to brutalize, victimize your own is a sign of a mental illness. That's a sickness. If white people had someone doing that in their community, they would lock him away, say he's a sicko. He's a serial killer. He's a sick. But even then, let me tell you how far that nationalism goes. Even then, even then, they would justify their sickness. They would justify the sickness of of of, of their practice in their community. The African man and woman, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you. It is time for us to step our game up. It is time for us to step our game up. And that is primarily what this is about, for us to begin to uh, make the difference between the progressive, melanated brother and sister, that revolutionary-minded brother and sister, and the nigger, and having enough courage to call a spade a spade, to begin to start ousting these niggers, to raise the bar of the revolutionary, to raise the bar not of the struggle, but of the morals and the ethics of the so-called revolutionary and the so-called parties that say that they represent the best interests of African people in America. This, this, it's, this sickness has to end. We can no longer fight a front 
from a foreign enemy and a domestic enemy. What I mean is from an outside force and from an inside force. We are going to have to address the niggerism. And, and it's addressing the niggerism offers solutions. It's not, it's not just enough to address niggerism, to berate someone, to browbeat them, to jump down in their shit, their stuff, and not offer alternatives. Right. See, right, this too right. is 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 it is, is, is it makes a distinction between the nigger and the African or the revolutionary, because the nigger would love to jump on you, what you ain't doing, and would do it in the name of revolution. Nigger, you ain't this. Nigger, you ain't this. Nigger, right. you don't know this. You don't know niggas. And would do it in the name of revolution. And if we're not careful, and on our ideology, we think that's cool. We think he's checking something. But we must listen, therefore, there again, understanding what black nationalism is. Black nationalism is a solution, so it is solution-oriented. So when we hear this man talking, we say, okay, you done jumped on the brother, but damn, you going to give him a solution? Do you have a program for Do you have an idea for a program to come up? See, we have to be careful. Because we have these people in our mix. We have these people in our mix. Come in, and some of them been sent... But the, mass, the vast majority of them haven't been sent. It is, we have failed. Let me tell you, in, as, 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 as that black power movement, and when I'm always talking about the morals and the ethics and the principles, because we failed to set such standards and to create and raise the bar to such a degree that we're not even producing the like. Look at the 60s and stuff. Mm-hmm. Let's go back and look at the 60s and the 70s. How do you have a time that you were producing the likes of Malcolm, Martin, Mega Evers, right. Stokely Carmichael, Ace Rap Brown, uh, Geronimo Pratt, uh, Sundial, we could be here forever. All in the same generation and same era? Right. Right. What right. the hell is in the water right. that you produced in individuals like that back to back to back to back? It was the society. It was the society that you talk about standing on the shoulders of your ancestors. You talking about listening to the advice of your predecessors. You talking about being admonished and disciplined by your mentors. That's what produced. That's what that produces. But in this age of materialism, in this age of overindulgence, look at what we're producing. And we want to all about the youth and this and that. Our culture, our society, our communities are not incubating those type of great minds and freedom fighters in that spirit of resistance. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And we did it not. We, 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 listen, it was from the sincerest intentions that we began to destroy our communities. By destroying our children We wanted our children to have better than we had It was sincere Our intention was sincere But by taking that struggle By trying to hide that ugly mask Of racism and oppression And exploitation By really sheltering and shielding them From the harshness of being black in America We crippled them Mm. We crippled the movement It took the resistance out of them. They don't even know what they're resistance for. They don't understand the hardships and the difficulties you went through, let alone your ancestors and predecessors went through to get them where they are today. 
And not only do they not understand it, they don't give a damn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They don't give a damn. We haven't passed on tra- traditions and hardships. We've sheltered them from it. We're doing, we, us and the state, and the state does to us what Rome did, what Caesar did to Rome when Rome was burning around his people, gave him 100 days of gains. Let's entertain the Negro. I'm not saying the entertainment is bad. Enjoy yourself. Watch a little television. Listen to a little radio. Go to the theater. Take your family out. Enjoy life. I'm not with all of that doom and gloom. Enjoy life. But have a balance. See, the nigga does things in overabundance. So we're sitting here, and we're Atlanta housewiving, and we're going to the movies, and we're eating out, and we're oversaturating our desires while the world is burning down around us. While we have the most mm. egomaniatic president that you could ever have, the world is literally right. burning down around us. Right. I'm telling you, he's about to, man, this guy here, he's about to pull a slick move on everybody, and we don't even see it coming. Talking about Russia meddling in the elections. Mm. Russia meddled in the elections. They have the capability of meddling in the elections. I bet they do. That's the same thing Hitler did. Fear tactics. Now, if you're saying that Russia meddles in the elections, you know the next thing that he's going to say, well, we can't trust the elections. We must suspend the elections, and therefore I'm declaring an mm. emergency act that I am permanent president until we can confirm that our elections are untampered with. Same thing Hitler did. And people voted their rights away. Fear tactics. Oh, we can't trust the elections. So the world is burning down around us, and the Negro is boogieing. The Negro is partying. The Negro is eating and drinking, being oversaturated. The Negro is fucking and laying up. Right. Right. Not advancing their race. The Negro is still engaged in the pettiness and the small-mindedness of children. This is how you know that the black man and the black woman in America has become dependent like children because we still behave like children while we're sitting here tattertelling and talking about fingers at other black leaders and black organizations like spoiled children, playground children. While the world is moving on around us, other races are advancing, securing their places in civilization, in the histories of civilization with their contributions. And the black man and the black woman is still around there fumbling in the dark, scratching their head, pulling pistols on one another, or trying to sell some damn crack to make a fortune, triple a ball, to make a fortune. Because we've bitten into the individualism. We've allowed these Europeans to sell us on the European uh, uh, ethic of rugged individualism. We believe in rugged individualism, the maverick, the lone ranger. The lone ranger did that stuff alone. The fine, the bad by himself, man. And we bite into this, and we think that I'm going to get this money up by myself, not understanding that that's an image they put out to you, but they move collectively. The maverick, the white man that moves alone, white man can afford to move alone, white man, because his system guarantees to a certain degree that he will only fall so far. There is nothing to catch you and I. You and I can't afford to act alone. 
You and I must operate and act in our true African self, which is African communalism, because it takes a village. There is nothing that you by your bad self can do alone, nor me. Can't let this nigga amongst us trick us into thinking that that's a viable option, that we really can afford to be out here and do it by ourselves. Even when we get these organizations, we think we can do it by ourselves. We become the chairman or leader of these organizations and think that we have the final say. I love, I love our operating procedures in the People's Black Panther Party for Self-Defense, which is democratic centralism. I love democratic centralism. I love it because it keeps the chairman in check as well as every other officer and uh, um, comrade that is in any authoritative position to be able to make decisions. Democratic centralism keeps it all in check. So I love it. Absolutely. But our people have to, and this is what we need. We need to, we have to operate and move collectively. I don't know how many times or ways we have to yell it out, but what are some of the things we have to do to begin to move in a collective? And that's what we have to understand. Listen, I'm running down and winding down on my time. But like always, and I think I went a little over, but like always, man, I love sharing our Tuesdays together. I thank everyone who chimed in and shared with it. And I'm always surprised by the callers that call in and sharing with us, and I thank everyone for that. Brother Kevin, man, I definitely want to thank you. I know you're going to be on next week. You know I always love your feedback. Jeremy, so. All right. So with that, uh, my people, thank you for, I leave you. Thank you for sharing your Tuesday with me. I leave you as I greeted you. That's all powers to oppress people, African power to an African people, and black power. Black power. All power to the people. Yo, all I need is one mic, one beat, one stage, one nigga front, my face on the front page, only if I had one gun, one girl and one crib, one God to show me how to do things as sun did, pure, like a cup of virgin blood, mixed with 151, one sip will make a nigga flip, writing names on my hollow tips, plotting shit, mad violence.